Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, Yes. how you doing? I am unmoored. I'm a man at sea. Oh, all right. Adrift. Uh, adrift, yeah. Because I've lived in Los Angeles for over 12 years. Mm-hmm. And in that entire time, my number one cultural beacon, bellwether, touchstone, whatever, mm-hmm. has been the LA Weekly. Yeah. Uh, and things are in chaos and it looks, it, it feels like the LA weekly that we've known is no longer going to oh, exist. Yeah, no, of course not. Um, I mean, there's been some yesterday, there was some good news because the one, the one, literally the one writer they kept on staff, um, they made editor in chief and he tweeted about how he has, um, you know, the things that he asked for in his promotion, his employment include, um, uh, you know, that he gets final say and that he can hire some of the previous staff back right. and that contributors will be paid, which is a big deal. And also that um, writers can stay with their union, which is a big deal yeah. to me. Um, but that, that paid thing gets at what I want to get. At. The thing I want to talk about. So, oh, oh yeah, I, I forget most of our listeners aren't in Los Angeles. So yeah. I don't know if you've been following this. Basically, the LA Weekly. And we mentioned it last week with, yes, uh, with Alonso. With Alonso. Uh, and thank you to Alonso um, for being on the show. That was a blast and has gotten a bunch of uh, great responses. Um, and thank you to, I want to say, Thomas Johnstone. Um, yes. For, for our, the, our theme. Our Christmas theme. Christmas theme, yeah. Uh, no. So what happened is, uh, back in, in October, the LA weekly was, uh, LA weekly is uh, our free weekly, um, uh, paper, uh, that's existed here in Los Angeles for decades. Um, and, uh, what happened back in October, it was purchased. It was kind of unknown by whom it was a group called seminal seminal media, which was formed for the purchase. So it was mm-hmm. not a lot you could look up about them. Uh, and then just last week, um, there was what one former staffer described as a red wedding <laughs> type of situation yeah. where essentially three quarters of the already pretty small regular staff, um, was, uh, was let go, including all but one writer, uh, Hillel Aaron, I think is his name. Hillel Aaron. I'm not sure right. his name. Um, and, and then, um, to, you know, make matters even worse, the new people put out uh, a tweet that was essentially, people took it to be asking for like so many publications have gone this way, asking for essentially free contribute people to right. work to, you know, as free bloggers or whatever, yeah. uh, uh, a tweet in which they misspelled the word, word Angelinos, which is to me that you couldn't have more properly like illustrated yeah. what has happened to this Los Angeles institution that the, that the new owners, a bunch of orange County people, which again, I, you know, I'm a Missouri person. I should, I, it's not that being from Orange County means you don't have a connection to Los Angeles, right. but it's still, it, it highlighted like these people aren't Angelinos. They don't even know how to spell Angelinos. Um, the thing that I want to address, I, I really want to keep my hope alive that Hillel Aaron will, um, uh, will, will make the LA weekly, you know, maybe not what it was, but something. Yeah. Still something good. Uh, still something that feels, um, like it represents um, re- represents Los Angeles and sort of represents for Los Angeles. You know what I mean? Advocates for Los Angeles. That's what I want. Uh, but I want to talk about a lot of the tone of or, or, or something that has crept into 
the anti new owner thing. A lot okay. of reporting has been like, you know, former staffers and readers are and advertisers are boycotting or pulling out of the new conservative ownership of LA Weekly. Because I don't know if you've read about these guys. Uh, I've not. Uh, one if of them was, County, I'm not surprised. But, like these are um, the the guy um, Brian Kelly or Cal, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, was the head of editorials of the Orange County Register, which is a conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, paper and also was former former vice president of the Claremont Institute, which is a no. um, economically conservative uh, thing. And, and other members of Seminole Media are um, Trump supporters, which is obviously different than being a conservative, but still. Boy. Um, uh, and I think I want to I I want to sort of draw a line because I don't I, I feel like coloring it as like can you believe these new conservatives in the way they're doing kind of dilute like distracts from the actual issue is sure i do want to say you know if the if the paper does start to take on a a bent and a point of view that is not what it has been and that i disagree with i will probably stop reading it right that's kind of how the free market works right it sure is (laughs) um and and so i don't want to say that so you're still uh, you're still planning on reading it um i wasn't okay but um with the series of tweets that Hillel Aaron put out yesterday. Hello, Aaron, however you say his name. Um, I do want to give it, uh, a bit of a shot and just see. Um, but what I want to point out is that the thing that is objectionable is firing almost all the staff and then asking for free, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. free contribution. Like that's the thing to boycott immediately. If you start boycotting immediately just because they're conservatives, I think that, makes it a partisan issue and right. that I think diminishes the cause. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Again, I want to make clear I would stop reading it if it became what some people have said, which is like uh, an inside job or an inside California job. Uh, some, this is some people's hypothesis is that these people are buying the LA weekly with the specific aim of undercutting Kamala Harris's 2020 presidential run from inside California, from inside her base, you know, taking the LA weekly's, this is a successful paper with a huge, uh, no. social reach to use, uh, <laughs> to use that term. Um, and there are some people who are, have theorized or hypothesized, um, maybe, maybe from paranoia or maybe not that that's the main reason uh that these people want to uh, want to take advantage of la's la weekly's readership and reach again we don't know we we don't have any proof of that if it went that way i would say yeah absolutely let's stop reading it but i just want to (coughs) clear that firing everyone and asking for free contributions should be uh, repulsive to anyone, not just liberals or just conservatives. Yeah, it's uh, well. Here's here's the thing that I'm hearing is it sounds like they're going to need some right leaning writers. <laughs> so I think it's time for somebody to scab it up. Right, but the problem and, is conservatives love money. <laughs> yeah, I know, and they're not. They, they don't seem to want to pay that much. I know, and as it turns out, I do too. So I, yeah. Um, <laughs> and for the record, listeners. We don't pay our writers either, and we don't get paid. Uh, um, that's true, yeah. But we also, we're not in a situation where we fired a bunch of people that we were paying and then did this other thing. Yeah, especially from, you know, uh, a paper that wasn't 
sinking. You know, this is like yeah. it was doing well. Yeah. Both it was making money and also in terms of respect within the journalism world. This was yeah. a, you know a, a paper that was uh, <coughs> lauded and awarded. Here's an interesting thing, and I, it's not nearly as interesting. Um, I was to a fair degree a fan of Cracked. Like oh, they right. were doing, they were doing like a lot of online videos, m- mostly comedy, of course. Um, but there was some political and some commentary in there, and I, and I was really enjoying it. The entire staff, yeah, the entire staff, like every contributor. My thought was like, okay, my guess is they'll get rid of the writers, but the on, like the the faces of Cracked, like the people that were the on air talent, they were very popular. And yeah. like, why would you get rid of that? Like, it's they got rid of literally everyone in one day. Like my Twitter feed was just one person after another saying like, well, I guess I'm out of a job now. And I thought like, what is going on over there? Um, and my guess is that it's just, uh, somebody said, well, because we all enabled ad uh, ad blocker cracked, uh, probably has to, (laughs) has to pare things down. So yeah, this is something that is happening a lot of places and you know with this Ellie, here's the thing if that conspiracy about Ellie Weekly is right it's a bad idea where it's just like <laughs> hey we'll take this paper everyone knows we'll start incorporating a lot of conservative ideas because I'm sure those Angelinos will just be like well the LA Weekly says it's fine like it's people aren't that blindly loyal to just the brand a brand right. you know they will still pay but attention to I, the ideas within it i wouldn't put it past certain people to assume that people on the other side politically are that dumb uh okay <laughs> that fair is, enough there are you assumptions know what? they tend to make about one another that are unfair that's true and i've read but i've read the buzzfeed comment section so you know what i i get it i don't even know because i don't read buzzfeed is buzzfeed left-leaning yeah, very much okay. so yeah uh um, that's, I, I, I honestly wouldn't know. It seems like their content, non-political content, is so... Who gives a shit? So down the middle, middle of the road, yeah. that it literally like could go either way, and it wouldn't have surprised me. Yeah, it really does feel like their political content and their everything else are just run by completely different offices. Mm. Um, Probably true. But actually. that's the thing is, with their, they're still pulling... BuzzFeed people into their political comment and they're all commenting in the, in the section and they're all left leaning, but I'm just like, boy, if I were, Hey, like if I go to Breitbart, I'm, I'm ashamed of everything there. Commenters, articles, but like if I were left leaning and I looked at some of these comments, I would be, I would be embarrassed. You know, this has become, we've gotten off topic here, but speaking of BuzzFeed, Breitbart, I've stopped. I mean, it's been a process, but I've stopped over the years. I used to read Daily Coast. I used to read Talking Points Memo. I used to occasionally yeah. read HuffPo. I never read Raw Story, but like I've cut all that shit out. Yeah, and I've come. I've become in this era of attacking the mainstream media. I've become very much more mainstream media. Really, because I feel like as long as you take the bias with a grain of salt, they're still they're they're yeah. they're. they're institutional history requires them to tell you the truth, even if they're, you know, they're calling it their way. And so my, my personal philosophy is it's okay for me to believe everything that I read in the New York times and the Washington post, as long as I also believe everything that I read in the wall street journal and the financial times. And then Politico is down the middle for me. Yeah. Um, I think it is our job 
it is our job as consumers to be fair and balanced because I don't think we can count on the outlets to do that. Uh, yeah, that's that's the that's the plan. So I subscribe to updates because um, you know uh, I get updates to my email from both. Yeah, slightly left and slightly right papers, but I don't anymore. I will immediately discount anything from the the fringes of either side. I don't care what Talking Points Memo has to say any more than I care what Breitbart, Breitbart has to say. And I don't want to get into moral equivalency because I know the Talking Points Memo has uh, not does not have like uh, you know neo Nazis and white nationalists. Yeah, oh, Breitbart's like, uh, that went yeah. off the rails a long time. Uh, ago. Yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm equating the two, but in terms yeah. of just my personal, when I'm gleaning information, I think. Um, I'm gleaning it from basically, uh, if I hadn't heard of it 20 years ago, I'm generally not reading it anymore. Um, except for Politico, which didn't exist. Right. Um, And Politico, I mostly, I mostly read the playbook, which pulls from, it basically just links and recaps stories from the rest of the mainstream media. Yeah. I think the only, at this point, the only right, I'm moving away from politics in general right now, just because my general, uh, frame of mind. But, um, the only right leaning thing I really engage with anymore is still national review. Um, yeah, but because that's been around a long time, just like around a, a like very long time. Mother Jones or the yeah, Atlantic or exactly. whatever, yeah. or even the new Republic. Do you still read new Republic? No, because, uh, when they got bought and went to, you know, right. The, I don't know if their content isn't what it, what it used no. to be. Um, so here's, uh, I'm going to use this to talk about the the other thing. Um, if if oh, it's okay uh, to transition out of it, a bit there are a want couple say, other things okay. I wanted to say real quick about the LA Weekly, which is uh, well, the one thing just personally, there was a time a couple of years ago when I was looking for more freelance mm-hmm. writing, you know, and looking to <laughs> sort of see if I can make that transition, and then I ended up getting promoted into essentially the job I have wanted since I started at my company, mm-hmm. or even before that, um, president, I, obviously. <laughs> no, like I. Uh, very super happy with my job right now. Uh, I, I love it. And so I'm not really looking to do anything else. Um, but boy, am I glad I didn't quit my job and try to be a writer because making money as a, as a film like critic or journalist or really any kind of journalist at all is increasingly impossible. Yeah, I'm definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm going to do this as long as I'm able. Literally. Yeah. I will do this for the rest of my life. But yeah, like I'm, (laughs) God help me. I'm happy that I'm moving towards academia, which by the way, doesn't pay great either, but, uh, but it's at least like a a career. You get tenure and shit. Absolutely. Um, and then you can, then it's just smooth sailing. (laughs) The other thing that I wanted to say about LA weekly that I, even, even, even while I will give it a chance now under, under Mm -hmm. hello, Aaron, um, one thing I will mourn that I was thinking about that I hadn't really considered because I was looking around at like, okay, what are the other, like, film reviews and, and stuff that I read regularly. And like AV clubs, a, a big one yeah. for me, but I was looking at like, um, the staff of, of, of writers of the AV club and it's, you've got Katie Rife, who's great, but you basically got a bunch of guys. And yeah. I realized from going backwards to April Wolf, Amy Nicholson, Karina Longworth, the main voice of the main paper that I read for film criticism for almost a decade now yeah. has been a woman. And that's been a huge part of, 
um, that point of view has been a huge part of how I've filtered my understanding of what's going on in movies and what's good and stuff. And I think it is a real shame that we seem to be losing what has, uh, you know, become one of the, uh, what had become one of the chief, um, outlets for, for female film critics. Yeah. It's a thing. Um, as I was, uh, as you and Alonzo were talking about it, um, uh, last week, I was thinking of the various critics that sort of got their start for lack of a better term, or became more visible as a function of LA weekly. And as I was going through mentally, I realized like, Oh, a lot of, like a lot of, at this point, notable female film critics, including Amy. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I thought like, Oh, that's really interesting. And then I was kind of, and then I was just like, I'm sure whoever they get is going to, probably not be as good <laughs> yeah so yeah. yeah and it wasn't just don't get me wrong I, i'm still gonna send them my my resume there's no question <laughs> about it um and i you know i just named the three like sort of lead film critics but there were plenty of other women who have been writing yeah. uh you know stephanie zahara contributed to yeah. village voice slash other <laughs> weekly and ingu kane um and um melissa anderson there's uh, a lot i was going to bring up Stephanie Zaharik, but because at the mo- in the moment I was like, I don't remember how to say her last name. So I, <laughs> I avoided it. Uh, I don't, I'm not a hundred percent. I got it right. I just feel like if you say it with confidence, there you go. Um, that'll get you into most buildings, <laughs> uh, past security. So, um, sorry, I, I messed up your transition, no, it's fine, it's but fine. there's other stuff that you wanted to talk about, which is definitely worth talking about. Yeah. Um, it's not official. It's been, a, it's been, bouncing around social media for the last couple weeks as a possibility, which is Disney purchasing Fox or at least the movie and TV. Yeah. Yeah. Entertainment. Yeah. Um, and some people are really excited about it. Other people are not. And I think I probably agree way more with the people that are not. Um, don't get me wrong. I don't particularly care much about one studio or another doing things, but it does. Each studio is going to do their own thing. That's the other thing. Like Warner brothers does its own thing. Universal Fox, like they all have their own way of doing things. And even if I don't like it, even if I don't like, let's, let's talk about like big franchises. Even if I don't like what Warner brothers is doing with DC, they're still doing it. Mm -hmm. If Disney bought Warner brothers, or if Disney bought DC, well, now DC will just be like Marvel. Now, don't get me wrong; I prefer the Marvel films to the D, to these DC films. But I because also you're on the payroll. Right? <clears throat> oh, obviously, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but I would rather DC get the have the opportunity to do something worse but different mm. than everything be the same. And I feel like people are saying, like, oh my gosh, if if Disney buys Fox, that means that the X-Men can be brought into the Marvel cinematic universe. And to which I say, who gives a shit? Uh, and I know a lot of people do, uh, but to me it's like, yeah, but you don't understand the tones of these different universes don't blend. So are you just, would it be like Spider-Man where you just reimagine the X-Men at which point, why are you even excited about that? Um, Mm -hmm. Like if you're connected to like Michael Fassbender as Magneto or whatever, then you would have to then change the tone of the X-Men films in order to bring them into the Avengers world. And, and that speaks to Fox does it one way. Disney does it another. And if Disney buys Fox, then 
everything will start to seem that way. You know, it's uh, Josh Long, our, our contributor. He's a big Star Wars fan, and he really mourned when when Disney bought uh, Lucasfilm, and. <clears throat> And I don't think I was necessarily bothered by it one way or another because I don't have the loyalty to Star Wars. But one thing that I definitely, I, I wrote a, a little uh, article about this a, a couple months ago. One thing that I'm definitely aware of is that like by purchasing Star Wars, Disney has now officially made Star Wars run of the mill. Mm-hmm. Star Wars was an event. It was a big deal. Even when those pre, even the shitty prequels, it was a big deal. And then like force awakens was a big deal. It's like, and then rogue one, which we liked, well, that's the next year. And then, and it's like, Oh, we're going to have one a year now. So star Wars is now just like everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Marvel is just like everything else. Pixar is just like everything else. Like I like Even if I like the things like there is a Disney way of doing things, which is we'll do it regularly and uh, a, so- a solid B's and B pluses. Um, yeah. and, and I was thinking about this just yesterday, weirdly, about the Star Wars thing. Because the, with the Marvel movies, I've, I've seen fewer of them than I haven't seen. <laughs> most, mm-hmm. I guess I haven't seen most of them would be the straightforward way there we go. Of, of saying that. I see one when I'm particularly interested or if I am, happen to be free for the press screening or whatever. Mm. And it was, I was reflecting just yesterday. I was thinking like, Oh, that's what Star Wars is going to be for me now. Like right yeah. now I'm at a point where I couldn't imagine not seeing a Star Wars movie. Yeah. But there's like the Han Solo and like Ryan Johnson doing a whole another yeah. like trilogy. Like I can kind of guarantee you in the next few years, there's a Star Wars movie I'm going to sit out. Yeah. And it, I won't feel as bad about it. I, for a long time I thought like, well, I'm going to see everything Pixar does. Well, then it was just one. Then they just started doing sequels. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Finding Dory, which I hear is pretty good. I haven't seen Cars three. I haven't seen like, any Cars movies. You know, I Coco's somehow good. I've heard Coco is very good. Somehow they ma- like they managed to make three great Toy Story movies, and I thought like there's a Toy Story three is a great capper, and here comes number four. And I was like, look, I've been wrong on Toy Story before as yeah. far as my expectations, yeah. so it could be great, but statistically. You're playing with fire now, <laughs> you know? Um, um, yeah. So Coco, by the way, is good. It's not top tier. I would, I would consider okay. like the top tier Pixar's for me are Toy Story three, inside out, finding Nemo, the Incredibles, probably off the top of my head. Okay. Hang Maybe on. the first, what, Toy what Story is it again? Two. Toy Story three. Yeah. Inside out, finding Nemo, Incredibles, maybe the first Toy Story. Okay. Um, I pro I would probably throw Wally in there. Um, Okay. Just from a just from a visual and a world building standpoint, like um, I think Wally is unique, and I like their commitment to having a good portion of the film be silence and it being a very depressing and cynical vision of the future. Um, yeah, which is something that I I appreciate. Yeah. Um, Up, yeah, I, I think, will, is not there. Uh, yeah, I like Ratatouille, but I don't think they will start out so well. What did you say? Which one? I love Ratatouille, but I don't think that's necessarily top tier. Yeah. I, I don't think I would I, argue with your top tier. Okay, uh, I would say Coco is just whatever the next tier down is, like the mm-hmm. Monsters Inc. level of Pixar. That's what Coco is. I feel like some people are overpraising it. Um, okay. Um, but it, it's it's good. It's a lot of fun. It's off putting that nobody talks about a Bug's Life. That's a really good movie. Oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I would say Bug's Life is up there in that. I would say Coco is Bug's Life level. There we which go. Which is good. Yeah, Bugs there's Life nothing wrong good. with that at all. I forgot about um, Bug's Life. <laughs> yeah, it's um, frustrating. At Disneyland the other day, I was uh, or a couple weeks ago. Um, 
uh, I did the um, Finding Nemo submarine, which I hadn't done in oh, yeah. in, in years. Uh, it's kind of fun. Um, it was mostly like sometimes kids rides like that are most fun because there was like two seats down. There was a little girl who was like loving it. Yeah, I was yeah. like, Oh, this is fun. Yeah. Um, but then there was one part, like when you go like clearly the, whatever the projector that's supposed to be projecting the thing was broken and we were just like, Oh, there's just a white wall under here. <laughs> and like, we're hearing like, you know, um, uh, uh, Albert Brooks, but not Albert Brooks. It's Jess yeah. Nell, right? Um, is it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a know, good Albert yelling, Brooks though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nemo. Like it just, it's a, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the most I can do. Anyway, we've gone way off yeah. topic. Anyway, but the point is that like the, the number of people that are excited at the notion of the X-Men being brought into the, the MCU and in doing so, cause like the X-Men, those movies are wildly uneven. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're terrible. Whereas the Marvel movies are a consistent B to B plus. Um, and some people would see that as like, okay, this is a win, uh, that, the X-Men movies will probably be elevated now. And my view is just like, yeah, I guess so. But at the same time, this is a thing that I, uh, lament because Mm -hmm. I don't want one studio doing everything, putting aside ideas, the ideas of like monopoly and all that. I don't like the idea of, because with a studio comes a mentality and I don't think every franchise and every movie should have the same mentality. Because it will get boring and it will get very bland. Yeah. So I am not excited for it. But I don't. I usually I don't think they'll reboot X Men though. I think it's too. I mean, I think those as long as those actors are willing to play, which I know Hugh Jackman says he's not, and Patrick Stewart says he's not. um, But as long as those, yeah, it's essentially been rebooted already. So I think they'll probably bring those actors in. But again, like those actor, those characters were established in a different tone than what the Marvel films Mm -hmm. do, and so. It's also know. my understanding that Fox's sort of X-Men TV universe, like Legion and Gifted, does right. technically take place in the same universe as the films. Yeah. So now, apparent, now I guess what I'm saying is the Gifted takes place in the same world as the Punisher and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, all, it's all together now. Or it will be, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas DC is separate. Yes, it is. All their TV stuff takes place in the same world. Yeah. Um, even when Supergirl was on another network, it was still in the same world yeah. as Arrow and Flash and Legend of Tomorrow. I'm missing one. Um, but not in the same world as the movies. Yeah. Anyway. All right. All right. Let's pay some bills. Absolutely. Now that uh, we've decried uh, corporatism, <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently available on Mubi is Olivier Assayas' Irma Vepstar, Starring Maggie Chung. Now, I've not seen this film. You have. It was actually going back to my college uh, video store clerk days at Nationwide Video on Belmont in Chicago. Rest in peace. It's not Mm. there anymore. Um, It was on my employee picks wall for a time alongside uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence in Funny Games. I think we're we're up there. That's an upbeat wall. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Irma Vep is... uh, uh, Delight, and I think it's. Uh, does it say what year it is? Is it like ninety ninety six? Ninety six, yeah. And so I, I feel like I mean it's kind of a a meta movie. Um, before that was a huge trend because Maggie yeah. Chung essentially plays herself, an actress who's been hired to come be in a French 
remake of a silent vampire movie. Oh, okay. So she's playing herself. So some of the scenes are in the remake of the movie, but then it's also her as an actress. Um, I kind had of, no idea that's what it was about. Yeah, kind of blending the, blending the, um, she sort of becomes like the character and yeah. starts like sneaking out of her hotel room at night in like her hmm. character's costume. It's a really, really cool movie. Wow, that sounds... Uh, yeah, I had no idea. Did you ever see Tristram Shandy? I forget. No, I didn't. Okay, boy, it's good. Um, but that is not available on movie. But I wouldn't be surprised if someday, if it has been or if it will right. be, it, it's very much their kind of thing. But yeah, so Irma Vep is available along with uh, Rob Reiner's This Is Spinal Tap, which is a marvelous film. Let me ask you this. Seeing where Christopher Guest went... I have I have an issue saying Rob Reiner's This is Spinal Tap because like when we saw where Christopher Guest's career went <laughs> and Rob Reiner's career went it's just like Rob Reiner's the director don't get me wrong but my guess is that Christopher Guest was kind of leading the charge on tone uh, yeah. or maybe Rob Reiner did such a damn good job with this film that Christopher, Christopher Guest is like I want to do that for the rest of my life. And Rob Reiner said, I never want to do that again. You're probably right with the first one, but also we've established that we refer to as a tourist. We have to, sure, sure. If we stop doing that, if we stop making exceptions, it's just chaos. No, I know it's, it's, (laughs) it's easier for me, but it is, it's very interesting to look back because I instinctively think of this is spinal tap as a Christopher guest movie, which it isn't. He's Mm. very, he's obviously very much involved and a huge Mm. creative force behind it, but it's not officially his movie. And so I would not take it away from Rob Reiner. It's still his, but it's very much a thing in retrospect. Um, yeah. You know, if you were to look at like the Christopher guest filmography, if you just showed somebody all of these films, they would assume that the same person that made this is spinal tab is the same is the one that made best in show and all that. Um, but When's the last time you saw this as Spinal Tap? Uh, it hasn't been too long. Okay. But it has not too recently either. I think one of the things that I like about it is that, yes, it is silly, but there are long stretches where it's just kind of selling the reality, mm-hmm. and it's not that silly, and I think their music is really good and not that far from oh, yeah. a lot of those songs. Um, <laughs> you know, And I've found myself like in the past, like singing to myself, like tonight, I'm going to rock you tonight <laughs> and stuff like that. And I feel so bad, but like the song bitch school is catchy and very funny. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a really great film that, uh, that does everything that you and I say, whenever you're going to make a movie about an artist, whether it be a visual artist mm-hmm. or a musician, their art needs to justify us watching a movie about them i think this is spinal tap absolutely does uh this is spinal tap is also a main uh point of evidence in a case a cause that i've been on for years which is the justice for fran drescher cause because sure. i feel like so many people think of her as the nanny yeah. and and the voice that she does and that's it and like people don't realize like fran drescher is really awesome and really funny and yeah kind of an inspirational person with what she's been through in in her life uh you know she was uh she's a like a rape survivor and a cancer yeah. survivor like and she was it was and is really funny and also the nanny is good um 
part of I, I do. I have I'm sure it is good. Like, I actually haven't seen it in a long time. Um, the nanny was a show. This is the second week in a row. I'm talking about my grandma. My grandma loved the nanny for some mm-hmm. reason. That was something that I could like. Uh, you know, I, I know what she was talking about. We had no. the same taste. My grandma also liked a lot of older movies that I was into. Yeah. Um, she loved Arsenic and Old Lace. She loved Leave mm-hmm. to Heaven. Um, but uh, so I always have a soft spot for the nanny because a Fran Drescher is awesome, and b my grandma liked it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, Fran Drescher is great in this, in this is Spinal Tap. Yeah. So this is Spinal Tap, Irma Vep, and 28 other films are available at Mubi right now. And there's a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. And by the way, it's Christmas time. All right. Mm-hmm. And so that means, uh, you could, uh, you could gift somebody a Mubi, uh, uh, Subscription, uh, you know, the movie fan in your life, I think would absolutely love it. Okay, well, I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com, which is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great and they sound great. And Tyler and I uh, use them each and every day of our lives. Um, I'm trying to think what I was listening to. Um, oh, yes. Uh, I, you and I had, uh, and, um, uh, editor large Scott and I had a, uh, website team meeting today, yes. a brunch. Uh, I, I drove to the brunch on this 75 degree December day, listening uh. to a, uh, Christmas playlist on Spotify that method man had curated <laughs> and it's terrific. It's kind yeah. of like, it's got sort of method man style. You know, it has some stuff you'd expect like, um, it, you know, it has Run DMC's Christmas and Hollis, and also it has a lot of like sort of Motown and R&B type stuff. There's Jackson Five and and Al Green, and then right in the middle, like literally in the middle of the playlist, is Gene Autry's version of Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, which is like this weird like yeah. it doesn't fit when you've got like Jackson Five, you know, Al Green, Whitney Houston, Tony Braxton, uh, Gene Autry, <laughs> but it's a, a you know, props to Method Man for recognizing that Gene Autry is great and that's a great version of the song. Um, but anyway, that's what I was listening to my tweaked audio. Uh, earbuds, um, while I was waiting for you and, uh, cause I was early for brunch. While I was waiting for you guys to show up. So, sorry. Um, no, I was early. Uh, they're available at tweakedaudio.com for a low, low price. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler. Yes? Let's get into it, shall we? All right. Uh, <coughs> listeners, astute listeners... Uh, who can read and who are looking at their phones, computers, MP3 players, whatever, uh, you know, they might be using, uh, to listen to this episode. Um, we'll notice the number of the episode. We put a, a, you know, all of our episodes that aren't movie journals have numbers. Mm-hmm. I have since the beginning. It's the number of weeks since we've started doing the show. Uh, these listeners will notice that the number in this case is 560. 
Indeed. So it ends with a zero and yet is not evenly divisible by the number 50. Right? Right. Which should clue longtime listeners in to the fact that this episode is a profile. My guess is your explanation of this means that we have fewer listeners every 10 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, I, I think people like the commitment to the bit. Um, now so this week we're doing one that could make this episode four hours or we could <laughs> get it done in 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, because it's a very varied, uh, uh, career, yeah. but we're going to talk about the, uh, as of recently, the late yes. Harry Dean Stanton. Yes. Um, do you have anything you want to say about Harry Dean Stanton going in? He was okay. <clears throat> I might think this because of interviews and documentaries and just comments about him. Like, uh, in a way he's seen every once in a while, there is an actor or, uh, or director, usually actors who seem to, to me exist somehow outside of the industry. And that like anytime they take a job, even though they're, they commit to it, I get the vibe that they feel that the industry is wasting their time, you know? And they're like, I have drinking to do you know, or something <laughs> like that. Uh, and Harry Dean Stan was one of those. And my, I think my reason for thinking that is because he is so he was so in the moment all the time and there's obviously a definite persona to him which is this quality of just like grizzled and hard living and all that sort of thing um but he just was such a an organic real presence there was nothing false about him at all mm-hmm. that it always, it, I, I have a hard time that I feel like this way about Humphrey Bogart as well. Oddly enough, there are certain actors that I feel like I can't imagine this person at night sitting down with a script and memorizing lines. <laughs> right, like yeah. this person be like, this is bullshit. Like, like they fell into acting by accident, uh, you know, on the run from the law or something like that. And then a director's like, he's got what we want. Um, and Harry Dean Stanton just seemed like, I think that speaks to, it may sound like I'm insulting him. I'm not like it speaks to a complete lack of self-consciousness, a, com- a complete commitment to whatever he is feeling at this particular moment. And, uh, and also a willingness. I don't think there's any, there was any vanity in him, like a complete willingness to recognize where he fits into the film and not try to, steal the scene or anything like that. Um, like when he was part of an ensemble, he was part of an ensemble and he would play his part and he would play it well. But, and while I do think that it's important that an actor realize that, well, I'm, I'm the lead in my own movie, like that's fine, but this is still Mm -hmm. a a different movie and you don't want to be hamming it up all the time. Um, I wanted to address something. You mentioned the, the hard drinking thing. And I think, sometimes Harry Dean Stanton would be talked about in terms of like, this is a guy who never quit, you know, drinking hard or quit chain smoking and yet, you know, managed to live not only well into his eighties, but also, I mean, was it, was he even older? Was he in his nineties? I don't remember exactly, Um, but uh, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. He looked like he was 147. (laughs) Right. Uh, but that's the thing. He also didn't really like, he was still active and 91, 91. Um, 
he was he yeah he was still active and working and like sharp yeah. as attack and and being yeah. great in movies and so he's different from like a keith richards type right we talk about yes. keith richards as a sort of larger than life character um yeah Harrington stanton was very real and down to earth and it yeah. seemed like someone did you ever see partly fiction that documentary I about didn't. him it's so good and there's a whole scene where he goes to um his bar which is dan tana's which is now i think kind of uh you know, a little bit of a what sort of a ritzy type of place, but he was probably going there in the '60s when it was just what yeah. you know at the bottom of the hill when Laurel Canyon wasn't all, um, you know, uh, rich folks. It is actually yeah. Doheny um, and Santa Monica, but it was like it's next door to the Troubadour. Now the Troubadour is in you know it's an expensive part of town. Yeah. You got to spend twenty thirty bucks to park your car to go see a show at the Troubadour. But that was like the you know, part of the heart of like the sixties counterculture. Yeah. So he's probably been going to Dan Hannah's yeah. <laughs> for longer than I've been alive. And so he just like goes there and he knows, I think, well, yeah, he talks to the bartender of the valet guy that he's friends with just as the same. He talks to Chris Christopherson or David Lynch, his yeah. like famous friends. Like they're all just like people in his life. And yeah. when, when, when Harry, you get the impression when Harry and Stanton's in a room, things sort of revolve around him, but but not because he demands it. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, because he's so centered, I guess, is the, yeah, the impression I, you get. I guess another another word is unassuming. There's mm-hmm. an unassuming quality to him. And that's the thing is like, but I don't mean to talk about it. I'm sorry, everyone. I don't mean to talk about him the way I talk about Will Patton. He is magnetic. Right. Yeah. Um, effortlessly. Yeah, um, uh, um, when I when I went to that screening of Partly Fiction, uh, friend of the show Kyle Anderson, the nerdist one, right. the uh, entertainment weekly one, uh, sat next to me. And after the screening, Harry Dean Stanton did a Q and A and then performed. Yeah, he like he had someone. I think he just sang. I don't think I think he had a, an accompanist, mm-hmm. uh, and he sang like uh, you know country songs, and then he sang like. Uh, like a Mexican folk song he sang in Spanish yeah. and it was like so quiet like everyone had to just like lean forward and it was so captivating it was beautiful yeah. uh, it's on YouTube I didn't record it but you can find that yeah. performance on YouTube uh, someone else who was in that room uh, recorded it uh, it was it's one of my favorite Los Angeles memories uh, yeah. uh, you know period period point blank all right, should we get into the movies? You have more? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I'm just going chronologically. Okay. Um, I don't remember him as an uncredited police officer in the heat of the night. Well, here's what I'll it, say. It's been a while. The first credit here is the TV show Inner Sanctum, 1954. Mm-hmm. He played Andrew. Now, he would go on to be in like be uncredited in a number of films and TV shows, but it's worth noting that his first role was an actual role. Yeah. Um, I'm not great with math. 17 minus, like, 2017 minus 1954. How, how many years is that? Is that well, 60? That's 40 to 61. 63? Uh, I was going to say 61 years, but yeah, uh, maybe you're right. Yeah, 7 yeah, minus 4. Years. Yeah, years, yeah. So he's been, he was acting yeah. for 63 years. Uh, it's insane. Uh, and, and like so many others, guys, he started in, he seemed to start primarily in in tv but he's done he did a lot of movies back then too but he's one of those guys in a sense kind of like 
Dennis Hopper or in another way like Francis Ford Coppola that you think of as being sort of like late 60s, 70s, New Hollywood yeah. type of thing, but we're actually like established actors. Yeah, you watch Giant and you're like, what the hell? Why is <laughs> right. why is the guy from uh, Easy Rider in this? Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, and like in 1956, he was an uncredited department of corrections employee in the wrong man. It's like he worked with Hitchcock, right? You know, and I don't know how much interaction he had with him if he's an uncredited character, but still it's like, it's, that's who he was. He'd been around that long. Um, and yeah, we can't talk about everything he was in. So yeah. Okay. So Luke. Yeah. And I feel bad that I, my not remembering him in cool hand Luke has probably more to do with my having not seen that film in a while. Yeah. Um, I did see, uh, I don't remember where, as I was scrolling through here, he played a character, you know, uh, he shows up in, uh, a lot of Westerns. Uh-huh. Um, and so, but there's one where uh, a TV show where he plays a character named uh, like Blind Dick, uh-huh. and my and I was like, I'm going to assume the character's name is Dick, or he's a detective. <laughs> I guess there's that the as blind well. Blind detective, which sounds like a I don't know a Neil Simon type of thing. It, yes, it does, <laughs> or like a, a half season of a CBS show or something like that. <laughs> um, relying on my ears to, I can hear crime. Right. Um, but no, that would be like the <laughs> idiosyncratic blind guy who teams up with the no nonsense lady detective there you and go. helps her solve crimes. That would be Ex- the yes. procedural version. That's that. about right. And it's called blind Dick. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. I like the idea that, see like, so in 63, he was uncredited in the man from the diners club as beatnik. So what I like is that the character's name is not blind Dick. There's a character who's just like on the street yelling at people and just being kind of a dick, but he also can't see. That's what I like to think. Um, yeah, I really don't know. There's so many like Tulane blacktop Cisco yeah. Pike. I haven't seen, <laughs> okay. but, um, there are scenes of that in partly fiction because, yeah. um, there's a whole, uh, part with um, in partly fiction, the, the 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 filmmaker interviews him on his own, but also with certain of his like longtime friends and collaborators. Yeah, and so there's a part where it's Harry and Stan and Chris Christopherson being interviewed together, and they show scenes from Cisco Pike because yeah. that was a movie they made together. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Look at so yeah. part two, FBI man number one. Yeah, which is weird because I mean I wonder if that's just Francis Ford Coppola like. In the same way that Harrison Ford is in Apocalypse Now, where yeah. Francis Ford Coppola just takes these guys that are, not that Harry Dean Stanton was insanely famous the way Harrison Ford was in Apocalypse Now, uh, or by the time that came along, um, but I think Coppola was just like, hey, I like this guy, we'll just, I'll have him here for a day so I can hang out with him. And also, was it Roger Ebert who said that like no movie with Harry Dean Stanton and it can be completely bad or something, uh, something, something like that. Yes. Which I can't, I can't argue with. So I did um, see, uh, I did see Dillinger, okay. um, which came out in 73 uh, and, um, you know, it's a, it's a film in which Warren Oates plays John Dillinger and Ben Johnson is in it. Like, yeah, it's, <laughs> Yeah, it does feel like Warren Oates, Ben Johnson, and Harry Dean Stan should all be hanging out uh, yeah. on a regular basis. And, and yeah, he plays just one of uh, yeah. Dillinger's gang. Uh, and so... Eli Wallach, maybe it should be. Sure, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then, so Godfather Part Two, And then I think... Then there's... I hate to say it. There's like a long stretch um, 
of films that I that he's in that I haven't seen. I feel yeah. bad. I've never seen Straight Time. Um, I, I, yeah, I've never seen Straight Time. I've uh, never seen The Missouri Breaks. Yeah, um, I've seen Up in Smoke, but apparently his scenes were deleted. According now, to IMDb. Here's here's something. Okay, I feel bad. We're gonna be we'll be talking about movies we haven't seen for a while, and then we will have seen a good number of them. But um, so John Huston in 1979 directed Wise Blood, which I've not seen, but I read the book. And I read the book not knowing there was a movie. Hmm. And so when I saw that there was, I, and I saw the cast, I was like, oh, I wonder who's playing who. And then when I saw that Harry Dean Stanton plays his character, Asa, uh, Asa Hawks, I thought like, why? I need to see this right now. Because and it's, and I still haven't. Um, but uh, yeah, and I'm kicking myself for it because Wise Blood is a great book. Okay. And, and it does, Dorf? and it feels very... It feels very right for John Huston to direct that. Brad Dorf um, and Ned Beatty are in it too. I feel like John Huston would have been like a really good director for like Blood Meridian, um, as you know, especially as he got a little bit more not necessarily experimental, but just got a little bit more bleak uh, as a director as he got older. Like yeah, like Fat City era, um, and just stuff like um, I guess Pritzi's Honor is kind of funny okay. um, as well. But I've never read Blood Meridian. Oh, uh, sounds upsetting. It is very <laughs> upsetting. You know, it's just like, wow, I've been reading, uh, it's like, I've been reading several pages of this orgy that seems to take place in the blood and entrails of a bunch of victims. Wow. And it's like, uh, fucking the Cormac only, McCarthy. Yeah. The only one of Cormac McCarthy's books I read was no country mm. after I'd seen the movie. And I, w- one thing that stuck out to me, I was surprised how many visual moments that I had just, chalked up to the Coen brothers yeah. are described directly in no country. for Yeah. Old Man. I heard that. Like the whole thing about like the scene where Anton Chigurh is like sitting on the couch, staring at it, seeing his own reflection yeah. in the TV that's turned off. Yeah. That's described in the book exactly the way it ends up being in the movie. Isn't that strange? Like when I think of, when I think of the Coen brothers, I think of these guys that are just completely original. Don't get me wrong. Like they're clearly inspired by things, but they have to do things their own way. Like they never actually adapted a Dashiell Hammett book. Instead, they made right. Miller's crossing, which is very much inspired by Dashiell Hammett. So how interesting that they adapted this book and adapted it so closely to the book itself. Yeah. It seems not them. I don't know. Which is what one but of they the, made a great movie. Yeah, it's one of the things that makes that film stand out in their filmography. Um, right, so now okay. we get into the big the, the first big one for us, I think, which is Alien. And I would say that for movie fans, certainly movie fans of a certain age, I think this is probably the film they most think of. Maybe Paris, Texas, but when they think of Harry Dean Stan, probably this, or I guess there's some David Lynch stuff too. Oh, I've got one um, you haven't mentioned that is probably the one I think of first. Okay. Uh, we'll get to in a few years here. Yeah. I, I mean, I think of Paris, Texas first and then probably alien. Um, but his, his role in alien is very much what I am talking about. Like there's a, it's a cast of seven. Mm-hmm. There are big performances and small performances. Yafet Koto, big. Mm-hmm. Veronica, Veronica Cartwright, big. I don't mean to say they're overplaying it. Those characters have big emotions. Right. Then there's Tom Skerritt and uh, Harry Dean Stanton. I think they are giving similar types of performances, just these guys who, like, they have a job to do, and they're just going to do their job. That's mm-hmm. it. And so his character, Brett, he's not given a whole lot to do, and he's the first one to be killed by the alien. But um, Well... Hmm? After John Hurt, I said by the alien. I guess I guess John Hurt is killed by yeah. the alien uh, removing itself from him. <laughs> yeah, that's um, what I'm saying. 
And incidentally, I will say, and this sounds very morbid, I think I might have said it at the time, as far as actor deaths, we are going in the alien order. Um, John Hurt died, okay. and now Herodine stands. So if I'm Tom Skerritt, okay. watch your back. <laughs> looking over your shoulder. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, one thing you mentioned that... You mentioned Harry Dean Stanton and Yafet Koto as giving very different performances. One of the thing that's so things that's so memorable about them is how believable their friendship is. Yes, that you really do. I think they're a big part of selling the idea that these guys, this crew, has been working together for a long while. Yes, their their interactions are a big part of that. If you want, if you want to sell the reality of your movie, you cast Harry Dean Stanton. Sure. Um, yeah. And yeah, there are moments, there's a quality to, to Brett that makes him seem almost resigned to his probably crappy life mm-hmm. and his eventual death. Um, but that also might just be the tone of his death scene. Um, <clears throat> we don't see a whole lot of like emotion from him, but we do in like the group scenes, we see Parker makes a joke and Brett laughs hard, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like a moment where he's like whispering to Parker and he's like bonus, you know? <laughs> right. And so there's, they do have a shorthand and they do have an actual relationship. And I do think, um, I think from his costuming, which isn't necessarily his thing, but like just the way he inhabits, this is something I've been thinking about since rewatching jaws and like watching Quint on his boat mm-hmm the way an actor inhabits a space that the character is supposed to be very comfortable in makes a huge difference. And I feel like those two guys more so than any of the other crew members, because the other, they're pilots. These are mechanics. They need to know every, every aspect of the ship. And I I think they do. Um, they seem at ease everywhere they are. And when you see him just go from one place to another looking for Jones, of course he's afraid of the alien, but he also is just very comfortable wherever he is, you know. Um, slightly off topic, but speaking of that and having the space thing, um, remind me, have you seen the Florida Project yet? No, not yet. So you know William Defoe plays the motel manager? Yes. Apparently he went to the motel like a week or two before they even started shooting and just lived there. That, he, you should. <laughs> you know, if you're managing, not merely if you live there, but if you're managing it, you need to know right. the ins and outs of everything. Uh, so yeah, I think that makes a great deal of sense. Um, and then there is, I remember there's uh <laughs> You know, when you watch uh, behind the scenes stuff and you watch commentaries, um, you hear about <coughs> Harry Dean Stanton. He came into not even so much an audition, but he came in to meet Ridley Scott. And by Harry Dean Stanton's own story, he comes in, he's like, I hate sci-fi and, I'm not, and I don't like monster movies. <laughs> and, the, and so that's what he starts with. And then Ridley Scott apparently says, neither do I, but I think we can do something with this one. <laughs> and... And so they, they acted together. And then there's a moment when, when Brett is looking for Jones and there comes a moment when he gets very close to the cameras, kind of just looking around and just very quietly says Jonesy. And apparently after the screening, Harry Dean Stanton went up to Ridley Scott and said, he goes, Hey, thanks for that close up. That looked really like, <laughs> like not a, not in a vain way, but it's like, wow, I really wasn't expecting to be featured in that way. So, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, and it, and it does speak to just his ability to, fit right into an ensemble and 
be what the character needs to be and sell the reality of that ensemble. But we can move on. Okay. Well, did he sell the reality of Escape from New York as brain yes, to you? Yes, of course he does. <laughs> yes. I don't know. I love Escape from New York, but I don't know that I'm ever sold on it. Do you know what I mean? Like to the degree that you can be, <laughs> right, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then... Uh, and then uh, I've, it's been a long time since I've seen one from the heart, unfortunately. I was just about, you know why I was just thinking about it? Not to, uh, well, why not? Of course, I'm going to plug the website. Yeah. Uh, over at Musical Notation, West did uh, uh, an episode on, on Tom Waits' music in movies. I'm sure you're over the moon about that being a big Tom Waits yes. fan. Um, uh, and yeah, so I was thinking, I got to watch one from the heart again it's been 15 years maybe since i've seen it yeah i mean the movie's a mess in a lot of ways but it's visually gorgeous and the music is very good um and that's the thing you've got like terry gar and frederick forrest and and harry dean stan and, and other characters that and it takes place in los angeles but not the glamorous part of los angeles <laughs> and again like it sounds like i mean i guess in this i'm i'm kind of praising casting directors and, and that sort of thing. But I think there's a way to use Harry Dean Stan that just is right. And it's ultimately like he, he, I'm sure he probably could play uh, a, a nobleman. I, I have no doubt that he could have played that, but there's just a quality to him that just seems very working class, very Western, extremely American, like a hundred percent. Like he's very much the face of America, especially when you see something like uh, Paris, Texas, which we'll get to uh, um, pretty soon. But with a, I don't know if you have anything else with a stop off. The, okay, so the movie that I think of first and foremost, first and think, foremost, when I think of Harry Dean is Repo Man. Interesting. Okay, I think because he that, is great in it. He is great, and also uh, you know, being a kid who was into punk rock, like that movie spoke yeah. to me, and especially the idea that. Harry Dean Stanton played a guy who had kind of like fuck it all nihilistic punk rock values, yeah. even though he was clearly an older guy. Yeah. It, uh, it really stuck out to me that he's yeah. like that, you know, you see like Emily Estes, character is like, I mean, part of the punk ethos is that there's nothing in the straight world, uh, to look up to. Right. And yet now he's got this mentor type character who is not, setting him on the straight and narrow. Yeah. It's him saying it's okay. You can find your way in this world as kind of an outsider. Even if you still, uh, hate ordinary fucking people, which is one of my favorite lines in the yeah. ordinary fucking people. I hate him is one of my favorite lines in the history of cinema. Um, <laughs> that's about right. Uh, and the, the fact that, 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 that's his, his Obi-Wan <laughs> in a sense yeah. uh, is uh, very much uh, spoke to me as a young punk rocker. There is a, there is a weird Zen quality to him as well uh-huh. as an actor, which definitely shows up in Paris, Texas, but in, in repo man, like, you know, it's a strange film in a lot of ways, but ultimately not ultimately, but I guess first and foremost, it is about this, the underbelly of this world. And even though his character wears, he wears suits, uh-huh. but, he, but he is not a suit uh, at all. Um, he right. seems, he seems vaguely comfortable in that suit. Uh, you can tell like the minute he gets home, he takes off his tie and grabs a beer. Uh-huh. Um, maybe he doesn't wait till he gets home, but, uh, and yeah, the idea of, so I've always gotten a sense that there's a, a philosophical quality and other, almost an otherworldly 
philosophical quality to his characters. I know it sounds so strange, but like, this is what I mean when I say he seemed to just, he seems to just not be an, not to be not merely an actor. He is a presence on screen. Right. And in Paris, Texas, which I think is his best performance. And incidentally, it might very well be my favorite lead performance in any film. Um, it is, it's everything that he is. He is, he's never been better utilized than in this film. Uh, for the first, I don't remember exactly, but for the first chunk of the film, he doesn't really talk. He's just found wandering in the desert with this big beard. Um, and you think like he's going to be somebody who's just been, who is, who's not necessarily irredeemable, but whatever he's been through, he cannot come back from. Um, that is not the case. Uh, and you see him slowly, but surely start to reconnect with his family and with his son. And it kind of culminates in this long and beautiful monologue, um, that he delivers to his, uh, I don't wife or ex-wife. I don't remember if they're actually divorced, but the woman that he's no longer with, and he delivers this wonderful monologue and it's a, it's very emotional, but he, he chooses not to get emotional. He just says it in, he just says it with heartbreak, but just over, but just like overflowing with love and regret and all of these things. Um, and a willingness to absolutely acknowledge his own frailty. And it, it is, a the movie's great in general. It's a wonderful script. Um, but I think his his performance elevates the film into something. It, I feel like if a film could ever be described as a state of mind, and yes, I know people have described Chinatown that way, mm-hmm. but like Paris, Texas is almost a state of mind. I know that sounds strange because in many ways it's also very down to earth. Um, but I guess you could almost say the same thing about Harry Dean Stanton himself. Um, one more. This is the third 1984 movie. He had a big 1984. Yeah. And which is looking at this filmography now, I'm realizing probably the first movie I ever saw with Harry Dean Stanton in it is Red Dawn. That's right. Um, where he plays the the father of two of the boys. I can't even remember who, which ones are brothers. I think it's Charlie Sheen and Patrick Swayze. Okay. Um, yeah. And, uh, uh, I think in the remake it was Chris Cooper who played this role. Am I right? Does that sound right? Even if it's not right, it does sound right. (laughs) Okay. Um, did you ever see the remake? I didn't. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's one of those movies like the, the mummy from this year, the Tom Cruise mummy mm-hmm. where people were like, just hate it. And I'm just like, this movie is just like regular bad like, yeah, there's yeah. movies. You can hate that are way worse. It's just, this is just regular bad movies. Yeah. Well, uh, with something like red Dawn, like people look at this film and they grew up with it as you and I did. Absolutely. And they're like, yeah. Oh, red Dawn, that movie's so fucking badass. And then they see a remake. Like how the hell did you remake red Dawn? It's like, well, original movie's not that great. No, it's really not. You know, <laughs> and like the main, like Harry and Stanton line is the avenge me part. Right. Yeah. Is something that like stuck with me for years only in rewatching it. that I realized like it's really corny. It's super corny. Yeah. Um, but I loved I, it as a kid, but I think he sells it. And again, like there, he does, there's a visual quality to him. Like when you see him, if for no other reason than because of just how Harry Dean Stanton looks, it's like, man, this guy's been through some, these Russians have put him through some rough stuff. Yeah. And it's like, Oh no, he just looks like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, no, I've never actually seen pretty in pink. Okay. I have. Okay. But and, I know, um, in not another teen movie, 
Okay. The stadium where they play football is called Harry Dean Stadium. <laughs> Which is wonderful. I love yeah. it so much. And the cafeteria is Anthony Michael Dining Hall. <laughs> we got, I got to rewatch that movie. So good you thing. and I saw it in the theater. Yeah. And I think people have like crapped on it and say it's not that smart. It's like, well, parody movies got a lot worse uh, after that. Yeah. Also, it's been a long time since... Uh, like an actual parody has been made. I feel like I haven't seen one in years. Well, there's They Came Together, which I talk about all the time. That's true. And that's a real one. But I feel like that's small. You know? Um, I guess, yeah. Um, I, like, there was, a, there was a time, David. There was a, yeah. a wonderful, magical time when there are p- big-name people in, in parodies. Not to imply that. I mean, obviously, Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler are big names. But um, it was Amy Poehler, and we in They uh-huh. Came Together, yeah. right? Um, but, yeah, there was, oh, we grew up in the heyday of parodies. Yeah. But, um, yeah, not on a team movie was the sort of last gasp there. It was I also it kind was. of the last gasp of, uh, this is something that the AV club, which I should, we should t- talk about less. We talk about the AV, AV club, AV club, club, club. I mean, they, uh, have a comment about like the soundtrack album and how like soundtrack albums aren't really like a thing. Anymore. That's true. But now that a team movie was like kind of the last gasp of the soundtrack album because it had all like modern acts covering sort yeah. of eighties like, new wave hits. Yeah. Um, Which is kind of a neat concept. Uh, yeah, it, it was a it was a good uh, it was a good soundtrack album. Um, so pretty in pink. Um, you know, it's very much this uh, a working class girl with you know a, a single. Uh, her father is is by raising her by himself, um, and she falls in love with this guy who's actually uh, well to do, and she just feels like she can't live up to that. And of course, her working class father is played by Harry Dean Stanton. And there's a real heartbreaking quality to it because, you know, it's not, it's in a way, it's like, it's the character from Paris, Texas, but he's much, he was better able to adjust to the world, but that doesn't mean he is happy. Like he's still heartbroken that he is alone He's still heartbroken that he cannot give his daughter what he wishes he could. Um, and it's a, it really, it really adds depth to a movie that is pretty standard in a lot of ways. Um, and so like every scene with him and, and Molly Ringwald is, is really special. It's, it's a film that, you know, when you hear a, word, a title like pretty in pink, um, mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it's from the 80s, and it's like a teen romance. Okay, nothing about this is vital to me. Um, especially, you know, when you're my age and a guy, you're like, I'm not watching that stuff. Sure, yeah. Uh, but then you watch, and it's like, that's pretty, that's actually pretty good. And I think Pretty in Pink is worth watching for a number of reasons, uh, not the least of which is uh, Harry Dean Stan's performance. Um, so I, uh, let's move ahead to Last Temptation of Christ. <clears throat> yes. Here's something I want to talk about. Okay. That always, whenever, Last Temptation of Christ is, I've, often said my favorite Martin Scorsese movie. I think mine too, probably. Um, I think it probably, yeah, that's probably still true. Um, uh, don't sleep on silence though. The more I think about silence, it's pretty great. Uh, I think, I think if think you watch will, them together, I think it makes for a very interesting. Yeah. Evening. Um, but one thing that strikes me now, you talked about going back to, when we talked about alien, you talked about him being the more, giving the more reserved, performance and that's something yeah. that he does a lot pretty much in all the movies except for screaming avenge me yeah like pretty much he's pretty much this sort of like you know quiet like grizzled but soulful center of yeah. the movie that's honestly you could sum up most of his career <laughs> in, in, right. like that uh but Saul's and then later paul in last Temptation yeah. is the first like big performance he gives and i think yeah if, if i'm wrong like we're introduced to him essentially like 
preaching, if it were like, uh, is, is that right? Well, we see him as Saul first and it's very small and he is oppressing Christians, you know, right. and but so, even that I think is bigger. It's big. It's because, not Paul big, right? He's not preaching to right. a bunch of people, but it's still, yes, a, a bigger performance because yes. he's, he's, uh, he's a zealot in kind yes. of in both as both characters. Oh, he's no a zealot. Um, and that's not the kind of type of character we've seen described so far in this filmography. Well, and, and yet he, of course he does great. Oh, it's, it's, I, I love, the, that character, I love the way he's written. I love everything about the performance, um, especially something that's interesting is, you know, I talk about just how American he is and how Western he is, mm-hmm. but also there's a kind of a Southern quality and he essentially plays Paul uh-huh. as like a televangelist, like just really big and like, um, I think that's throughout last temptation. Like I think Scorsese was like, just act guys, just act like modern day. People, oh, no question. You know? Like you've got Harvey Keitel still talking about yeah, like Harvey yeah. Keitel and you've got John yeah. Lurie. And yeah, I guess what I mean to say is that, that like, it's not even modern day, be, like be modern day American. It's like, no, just keep being you. Uh-huh. That's fine. Like don't even try to cover up whatever accent you might have. Yeah. It's fine. Um, and so, yeah, Harry Dean Stanton as Paul is giving this nice, uh, this this nice big sermon. But then when he meets Jesus, everything's a lot smaller. But there's still a passion there, and I love it so much. Where like I watch it, and you know, as a as a Christian, it doesn't necessarily the idea of oh he meets Jesus after Jesus was supposed to die, and Paul has been saying he's dead, and then mm-hmm. he meets him, and he's angry. But not because like this is false. It's like, what are you doing here? Like, right. th- this isn't what people need. Like, people need the resurrected Christ, not this. You know, and he and he just says, and it's this wonderful line. He says, "I'm happy I met you because now I can forget all about you." And and it seems it at first it seems almost like evil. Mm-hmm. But it's not self-serving because he he's talking about like, you don't understand what people need. Like Jesus coming back from the grave, like that is the hope that people need right now. Like we're not going to topple Rome. So we need something bigger than that. And you coming back from the dead is bigger than that. But no, you're right here because you couldn't do it. It's like, well, I'm going to keep doing this because this gives people hope. And what's not said is like, boy, wouldn't it be nice if it were actually right? Mm. Asshole, you know? <laughs> and it's just, it, it really, it's a, just a small section of the film, but it's very impactful. Yeah. I love it. All right. Um, so, so many movies to get through. <clears throat> I've seen dream a little dream. I don't remember it that, that well. I've not seen it. Um, I actually have not seen wild at heart. I've seen wild at heart. It's not, um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember. Is he, it's been a long time. Is he the motel owner? I can't remember. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Who is, I can't remember, but that's, uh, notably, I guess that's the first David Lynch movie we talked about. Yeah. Right. So far. And he, here comes another one. Yeah. Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Yeah. Uh, in which he is the owner of the trailer park, um, which I'm forgetting the name of. Um, I can't remember the name of the trailer park. Anyway, uh, the character's name is Carl Rod. Yeah. Rod with two D's. Um, 
And now uh, we're jumping ahead a, a long ways to Twin Peaks: The Return. Yeah, David Lynch brought back this character and just moved. He opened a new trailer park closer to Twin Peaks because <laughs> the whole part, <laughs> the whole point of like the fire walk with me thing is this is the 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 previous murder. Yes, this is the one that Chris Isaac and uh, Kiefer Sutherland are yeah. investigating. Um, and the one of the deputies, I think, lived at the trailer park. I can't remember. So basically, David Lynch just found a way to get this character closer uh, to the action so he could include him again. Yeah. Um, but he is... Uh, um, uh, it's hard for me now to think of his character in Twin Pe- in, in Firewalk with me without thinking of him in The Return because he's a much more fleshed out character. In oh, the that's Return. interesting. Um, did you even finished it yet? No, I, uh, I feel like I would like to, cause it's been so long since I watched the first five episodes. I think I would like to actually go back and restart okay. it and just uh, kind of see it over the course of a week. Yeah. Um, by the way, uh, Twin Peaks, the return is a TV show, not a movie just, yes, uh, to yes. address a film Twitter debate. Um, because, oh, people, really? yeah, because people are like, it's starting to show up on people sort of like best movies of the year. No, yeah, it's not a movie. It's a TV show. Yes. TV show. And I feel like when people do that, it's a sort of anti TV snobbery saying like, well, this is obviously too good to be TV. Yeah. Or it could just be them being like, I love this so much. And it's been a while since I've gotten to have David Lynch on my top 10. So how, how can I make this work? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, I'll do some mental yeah. gymnastics and say it's a, a movie. Yeah. Why don't you make a best TV of the year list then and put it on top option. of that, which is yeah. where it should be anyway. Uh, we don't need to dwell, dwell on firewalk with me because um, okay. we'll talk. I, I, hopefully we'll talk a little bit more when we get to the, the return, but uh, yeah, he's, he's good in the movie. So the next one actually for me is 1996 with down periscope. Do you have anything? I've never seen down periscope, okay. but yeah, let's go. It's with not that. a, it's not a bad comedy. Honestly, okay. um, it works pretty well. Um, and he plays a character, not at all. Unlike, Brett. In fact, that might be why he's cast. He's, he's essentially the mechanic on this, uh, on this submarine. And, uh, and he's, you know, or maybe he, or he might be the cook either way. He's kind of in the bowels of, of the, of the ship or pardon me, the boat. A submarine is a boat. That's right. Um, That's right. And so, um, he, uh, and he's the guy who's just kind of hanging out and telling everybody like, uh, like kind of takes joy in, in scaring like the younger people. Uh, and so, um, and just kind of laughs when they're afraid, like at one point, cause it's kind of a, a shitty, uh, submarine. So they go deep underwater and the pressure is just starting to like squeeze the hull and everybody's really scared. And he just thinks it's really funny. Um, <laughs> so I, I enjoy the, uh, I enjoy the film and I enjoy him in it. So, uh, Okay, next for me, ninety-eight. We've got a triple feature here. Okay, he was the judge, in, a judge in *Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas*. Okay, it's been a long time uh, for me. Is which one is he? I mean, uh, he's a judge. It's been a long time. Yeah, I don't actually remember. I feel bad. Yeah. Oh, there's so <laughs> you know. many people in that movie. Uh, I don't remember him in *The Mighty*, but I remember seeing *The Mighty*, and it's terrible. It's terrible. Oh, it's directed by Peter Chelsom, who made makes terrible movies. This year, he made *The Space Between Us*, which is a terrible movie. Okay, let's see. <laughs> I'm I'm looking. I'm looking. Hang on. That Peter Chelsom's uh, filmography. Oh, I remember Indian Summer. Oh, terrible. Wait, he didn't. Oh, sorry. Did he? Uh, It popped up. It jumped to uh, actor first. Sorry about that. Yeah, because that's um, 
I mean, Summer is Mike Binder, right? Yes. Another guy who makes terrible movies. Hector and the Search for Happiness, Shall sure, We Dance, the, Serendipity. Yeah, the U.S. Shall We Dance remake, yeah. Serendipity. Funny the, Bones, oh boy. The famous Town and Country. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yikes. Uh, okay. Well, we can move on. Anyway, uh, and then uh, he's uncredited in a Civil Action, which is a movie you like. Love. I was thinking about it the other day. I think I love a civil action and I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, I mean, actually, I, mean I could goes a long way, right? He sure does. And yeah. it's, and it's, uh, Danny Elfman doing some really good music and I think it's actually shot really well. It was nominated for cinematography that year. Um, it's a, it's a pretty slick movie in a lot of ways, but I also think like, I think John Travolta gives a good performance and I think he has a really nice character arc. I actually went and read the book. Uh, and it's a really good book and, and it's actually a really good adaptation of the book. Yeah. Obviously they got to leave out a lot of stuff, but, um, but yeah, uh, a character's name is land watcher. I feel terrible. I do not remember him at all. He's in so much. stuff. I, he's just one of these. He's of course he's brilliant, but I think he's also this guy and you know, he's in the Avengers uh-huh. for one scene. Yeah. It's a memorable scene. Thankfully. Yeah, he has but, um, good lines there. yeah, but there's just this idea of like, I think people are like, well, I, I apparently have the option of hanging out with Harry Dean Stan for a day. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't I? Maybe, maybe we forget the, these movies, we get these roles because he's so naturalistic that he just blends into them. Maybe. He's just, yeah. part of, he's like, yeah, there were trees in that movie and there <laughs> yeah. were Harry Dean Stan. Harry yeah. Stan. Um, the thing I remember about a civil action that I, I always <laughs> think about is the, the sort of, uh, running gag slash character note that John Travolta keeps getting speeding tickets. Yes. Which I like. Yes. Um, so now we come to the straight story. Yeah. He's only in it for one scene, but it's so impactful. Yeah. Um, he's Lyle. He is uh, Richard Farnsworth's basically long lost brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, not long lost. Like they specifically estranged. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm getting emotional right now thinking of that scene. Absolutely. It is so powerful. And Richard Farnsworth, like, you know, is getting in all these adventures as he drives his, his tractor across the country, uh, actually just maybe across a state, um, to see his brother who is also in bad shape and looks like Harry Dean Stanton. So worse. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that was 17 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and so he, and he, Lyle is not living in a great place either. Like he is in kind of a shack or a, a really crappy cabin at best. Mm-hmm. And he comes out and I think he, and I think he's sick. That's why his, uh, or maybe that maybe Richard Farnsworth character is sick. Sorry. I don't remember. I apologize everybody. But this scene I remember Richard Farnsworth just yelling out Lyle and he comes out very confused, not expecting to see his brother. And he's like, and he's like, did you come all the way on that? Like the tractor and the, I'm sorry, the look on his face, he doesn't say anything else. It is just the look of like, he is so touched. Mm -hmm. And again, like he has this weathered, face and so and he doesn't show emotion a lot and so for him to well his eyes to well up with tears at this at this a huge gesture by his brother it's 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 everything Uh that that like you want that ending 
100%. And I like that it basically goes out on that. Yeah. It's just like everything we've seen up to this point, uh, it has paid off even in just this brief moment where we briefly see his brother. He doesn't really say much, but in that moment, it's like, it was all worth it. In fact, uh, <laughs> make the movie two hours longer and this would still be a good payoff. Two hours longer. Here's the thing I remember about seeing the straight story in the theater, uh, because people don't do research into what movies they're going to. Okay. This is a G rated Disney movie. Yes. There were a lot of families with little kids in that theater, which is yeah. not the movies inappropriate, but they must've been bored stiff. Yeah, undoubtedly. Um, the next year, here's something interesting. Did we David. skip over to the green mile? No. Uh, oh no, I guess the, the same, same year. year. Pardon me. Yeah. Same year. Um, have you read the green mile? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember much of it. Well, here's the first thing. Maybe, maybe the first thing I know about it. Uh-huh. When I was reading it, I couldn't help but notice that there's a guard named Harry and there's a guard literally named Dean Stanton. Oh, that's so funny. And so I, th- so when I saw that he was cast, it's like I was how the two guys in, uh, history. Yeah. Like Leland, named, yeah. Leland and Orson. Yeah. And so I was like, Oh, I guess Stephen King, he had to have done that on purpose. Right. Yeah. And so it's almost just like, did Frank Darabont be like, well, I mean, I've got to put him in this or is it, uh, that Stephen King said, yes, you can adapt the, dr- the green mile. Here's the thing. <laughs> uh, I need Harry Dean Stanton to play toot toot. Yeah. Um, who is, you know, it's, <clears throat> I feel like I've, this always happens, especially when we talk about actors is that I feel like I repeat myself, but it's mostly just because the more you talk, you just see a trend in somebody's career and you see the way they're used Yeah, and used sounds bad the way they're utilized and, and what they bring. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think that's something we've talked when we do these profiles before we talk about the auteur theory, when we talk about directors, but like yeah. those, the basic tenants hold true yeah. to other film artists as well, including actors. And, there is a negative side to that, which is the idea of typecasting. Mm-hmm. The idea that actors are remarkably capable of doing any number of things, but the more they do this one thing, the the more they're going to be cast only as that thing. And I don't think Harry Dean Stanton was typecast. I think in any num- in any script, there is a character that could probably be described as a Harry Dean Stanton <laughs> type. And then people, I think just cast him and toot toot, um, is, I believe, I think he, I think he is the cook. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And just, he sells the, this is like a rural, it's a, it's a prison, but it's still like in the country and these characters are all very working class. And, he just goes a long way of like, we always need one employee that's been there longer than everyone else. I think I know who we're going to cast. Uh, and so, yeah, but more than anything, I just found it fascinating that, uh, that there are characters named Harry and, and Dean Stanton. Do you have anything to say about the pledge? You've probably seen it more recently than I have. Cause I, mean, I have, but I haven't seen it in a yeah. long, long time. That has a great cast all around. Every, everyone's in it. I remember yeah. seeing, I went to see in the theater and, uh, I was with my friend Trevor and just like, as the, um, opening titles were just going on and all these like character actors names at one point I, I can't I'm trying to figure out how to do this for the podcast listener my friend Trevor just went like oh <laughs> he just like threw his hands <laughs> up in the air because like oh, everyone's in this movie yeah um, of the I mean obviously Nicholson I think does a wonderful job but 
it's like there's him and then everybody else is an ensemble yeah. and is in maybe one or two scenes. And I think probably of that, I think Mickey Rourke makes the biggest impact. I, don't, I mean, obviously Tom Noonan. I also think of yeah. Benicio Del Toro and Aaron Eckhart. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's a good scene. Yeah. Yeah. It's an uncomfortable scene. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, there's a lot of uncomfortable scenes in that film yeah. now that I think about it. It's a movie that I think is like really, really heavy handed, but in a way that I love. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, it's it's actually a thing that I think I should rewatch. Uh, um, another bad movie is Sunny, which is the movie that Nicolas Cage directed. Right. Yes. Um, I don't even really remember. Uh, yeah. Anything about Harrison uh, yeah. Stanton in it? Uh, in anger management, he's uncredited as blind man. Apparently, this is nice just a regular guy. guy. Yeah, not, yeah, not a dick. Well, no, it doesn't say blind nice man. This guy is just kind of around. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, uh, there's all these movies that I saw. Like I definitely yeah. saw Crystal. It's the Ray McKinnon movie with Bill, Bill Thornton. Oh yeah, yeah. But I don't remember him in it now. I will say this, looking at his uh, filmography here, apparently he was in an episode of Two and a Half Men playing Harry Dean Stanton. That's so funny. I'm fascinated to know what that was, yeah. but that would mean I'd have to watch uh, Two and a Half Men for any length of time. Yeah. So now I've not seen Inland Empire. Is he featured prominently in Inland Empire? No. There's <laughs> yeah, yeah. a lot of small roles. <laughs> yeah. He's, um, an in- he's an interesting actor because this is what it is to talk about him first off because he's in a billion things so you're gonna have to skip a bunch yeah, unless you are, choose to see everything like flying through stuff but i've not seen any big love yes this is this is a big one i yeah. think and i wonder if there are people maybe um a little younger who maybe this is the first thing they think of when they think maybe. of harry and Stanton because it's uh it's a major role he plays roman grant who is uh, I, I can't spend too long getting into the whole backstory of Big Love, but Bill Paxton plays a character who's raised on a, um, uh, what, what would you call it? Um, a polygamist cult, like, yeah. you know, Mormon offshoot polygamist cult, like, who, like, lives in a, what would you call it? Like a settlement or whatever. Yeah. Compound um, sounds compound, a little bit too. But it kind of yeah. is, I guess. So that's where Bill Paxton, Bill Paxton was raised. He has since, like as a teenager, he was exiled um, and started his life sort of still being polygamist, but mm. not um, uh, being a member of any one particular sect. Yeah. Um, but Bill Paxton's family were the sort of like leaders of that, but uh, Roman Grant played by Harry Dean Stanton sort of there was a sort of violent coup I guess hmm. and so he is now the leader of the cult that um, uh, that um, that Bill Paxton grew up in and then his daughter by one of his wives is Chloe Savini who is married to Bill Paxton so that's the okay. whole connection and Bill Paxton's parents um, Bruce Stern and um, um Sarah Palmer. Um, uh, is it Teresa something? No, it's um, Grace, Grace Zabriskie. That sounds right. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're um, there. They still live on this same compound. So Bill Paxton's life, Harry Dean Stanton essentially plays the main villain or antagonist yeah. of big love um, up to a point in which he dies. Yeah. <laughs> he dies before the show's over and it keeps going. Um, but it's uh, uh, it's incredible to see. We've talked. I feel like so much of what we've talked about 
him has been about like a, a sort of like maybe surly or grizzled presence, but a warmth, yeah. you know, you think about, you're talking about the dad in pretty in pink, the, you know, the hell, the right. dad in red Dawn to yeah. a certain extent, like Brett. And even but, if, I'm, I'm iffy about warmth. I will say there's a definite humanity to him. Yeah. Um, and, and, and occasional warmth, but I think a, a, a desire for human connection is, is there sometimes. Um, but in big love, you get to see him sort of channel all that sort of like, uh, Americana, you know, um, charm and yeah. every man quality into a true slimy piece of shit. Yeah. Like he is a real formidable villain who, uh, is not, d- does not hesitate at any point to, um, have his ends met violently by his followers and to justify it to himself without thinking. Hmm. Um, and then, uh, um, the great character actor, um, uh, who's on Silicon Valley, uh, Matt Ross, is that his name? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, plays, um, one of his many sons, but sort of the, the chief enforcer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the potential successor and his relationship, like, uh, Albie, I think is the character's name, uh, the Matt Ross plays, who's, uh, a, just a terrible manipulative, awful person, but also you end that. Up, at times you end up feeling sorry for him because Roman Grant treats him, you know, if there's anyone worse than Albie, yeah. it's his dad, Roman Grant. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a fantastic, uh, performance. And, uh, it's kind of interesting going through this, that Harry Dean Stanton didn't play more villains because he's so good at it. In yeah. This, and in the show, and maybe he did. And I, I could see him being like almost a villain of the week on several TV shows, you right. know, many years yeah. ago. Uh, yeah. My, uh, my wife, Jen, she actually binged uh, big love, uh, earlier this year. And so I did catch it a little bit here and there as I was, you know, walking through the living room and stuff. Um, and there was a scene with Roman behind a desk talking with Bill Paxton and, you could just, and, and I stopped and watched about two minutes of it and it immediately, immediately made me want to watch all of it, especially because like the tension between what seemed to be a pretty pleasant exchange, but just like, yeah, like, uh, Harry Dean Stanton just seemed again, there's two minutes that I watched, <laughs> but just like ooze a very specific type of smug, uh-huh. Um, the smug of someone who's been in power a while and is going to continue. Um, and it really, it was really interesting. And I was, I was thrilled at the, I I remember when you first told me about big love and who he was in it. I remember being thrilled that he got a showcase like that. Um, last thing I said about big love, he's so great as the villain that even after his character dies in the scenes when his dead body is in the room, Mm -hmm. the characters are still like, cowed in a way. And you sure. feel that as the viewer, because you spent at that point four years or whatever with him, um, <coughs> you know, exerting his control over, over everyone, uh, mercilessly. Um, and it's a testament to the character that he'd built for so long that it works that every, you know, it, it makes sense to you that everyone is still kind of scared just of his dead body. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, that's very, uh, Stalin esque. Mm. Um, I remember specifically the HBO movie Stalin in which Robert Duvall of all people plays Joseph Stalin. And he was like, when he's on his, that really, when you had the VHS, I did. right? Yeah, yeah. When we lived together okay. that, that first semester, 
Oh yeah. We didn't have any friends. Chicago. We didn't have any friends and I didn't even have a job yet. And yeah. so I didn't get a job until the second semester. Um, and also I had, I had pretty much all morning classes and you had pretty much all afternoon classes. Yes. So I would like come home in the afternoon from school and just watch every, every, everything you owned on VHS that I didn't hadn't hadn't seen a pretty eclectic mix i must say <laughs> yeah but that's how i saw uh, I, I feel scott and i talked about this while you were gone actually um uh how many like classic hollywood movies i discovered that right, way. right like uh, mutiny on the bounty i think i saw mm. that way and probably it was the first time i saw treasure of the sierra madre i think Ooh. um yeah great movies good collection uh yeah. so um oh shoot what was i gonna say we're we moving on from big love um I th- I feel like you said something. Oh right, Stalin. Uh, Stalin. Oh right. Um, yeah. But there, his death scene where he's dying of natural causes, and he seems to have like passed away, and like his generals are surrounding him, and like one just starts like being like, "Oh, it's about time." And then like he stirs a little bit. Uh, Stalin like stirs a little bit and goes, he goes, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry." You know. <laughs> And, and like Stalin dies like moments later, uh-huh. but it's just like this, like the fear is, is always there. Um, so, uh, yeah, for me, I'm jumping to, um, I did see Rango. He did a voice in it, which okay. sounds appropriate. Uh, but I do remember him again, one scene in the Avengers, uh, which I remember he has a couple mem- memorable lines, but I remember specifically, uh, he essentially, uh, Hulk falls out of the sky mm-hmm. and then Bruce Banner wakes up and is like dazed and everything is destroyed. And, <clears throat> and Harry Dean Stan is a security guard at the place that the Hulk landed uh-huh. and is just kind of comment uh, asking him like what's going on. And at one point he, I remember him saying like, you have a condition, <laughs> um, which, but I don't remember a lot before that. But well, the line that I remember, I'm, I'm going to have to paraphrase it. The one that I remember the most is when he asks him, so are you a, are you a big guy who gets all small or are you a little guy who gets all big or a big guy who gets all small? <laughs> yeah. And I think in the wrong hands, that's corny because that's, to say that out loud is kind of like the question that goes with every superhero ever. Like yeah. which one is the main, which one is the yeah. alter ego, you know? Um, but to put it in his hands and, and, and also in Joss Whedon's hands to make it kind of funny, yeah. the, the phrasing, uh, is, is to keep, is to sort of, um, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Not bury, but make more subtle. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the power of that, of that question. Because well, it, that literally goes to the heart of every superhero. Ever. Yeah. And certainly the Hulk. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's the thing is, um, I don't really, I don't think I really have anything else to say beyond this. I feel terrible about that. Uh, I need to watch lucky, which you actually just, uh, handed you showed me that you have a screener of it uh, yeah i'll let you um, know that i have a screen exactly well you can come over to my house and there we it. go um, i haven't watched it yet actually um, um but yeah he's in seven psychopaths he's in the last stand um the 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 schwarzenegger action movie that's uh it's he's great he's uh is he? okay he's very much a like um he's the 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 standard like small town like get off my property type of like yeah. you know it, i don't care if you're the law, like this is my property type yeah. of guy. Okay. Uh, he does a good job with that. I, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, so in alien isolation, uh, they did bring the cast back, mm-hmm. uh, to do vo- uh, voices. And so he does come back and does the voice of, of Brett. And, uh, cause I watched a trailer for it and, uh, 
his voice sounds a bit huskier, but not much, mm-hmm. which I guess speaks to the fact that like he's always kind of been this way, even because I think he was well into his forties when alien came out. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, I haven't seen, I mean, lucky is, is definitely like, it's, it's, it's almost like Venus, uh, for Peter O'Toole, oh, right. like just this last raw where he's the full on lead. Um, and what's more is in this particular instance, based on the reviews that I've read and such, like it really seems to be like no other actor could play this character because the character himself is kind of like that. There's an existential fatalistic quality to him while also being undeniably poetic. Um, and so listeners, he has a huge filmography. So feel free in the comments to, to say, I saw this film and you know, that sort of thing. Let me mention twin peaks, the return to come back to that. Um, which is the last, there there is one thing on his IMDb filmography listed as upcoming, uh, a movie called Frank and Ava, where he plays a sheriff. Um, yeah. Anyway, but the last thing, um, currently on his filmography is twin peaks, the return. Uh, and in a way I think, David Lynch, he, you know, sort of twisted things to move Carl closer to Twin Peaks, Washington, uh, because he wanted to make Carl, I think, sort of to represent the heart and soul of the world that is going on while all of this crazy shit is going on. Yeah, yeah. Because he's not really... um, he shows up a lot throughout the thing, but he's not really privy to any of the supernatural stuff. Right. He sees... Um, uh, so I think the, uh, um, he owns the trailer park and his main connection is that, uh, so, um, Machen Amick's daughter is played by, uh, Amanda Seyfried and her okay. boyfriend is played by Caleb Landy Jones and Caleb oh, Landy okay. Jones lives in a trailer on the property. That's Got the it. main connection. But really we, a lot of times we just see him sort of like still being his like, uh, grizzled and maybe like seemingly short of patience uh, yeah. in the instant itself, but also he's constantly helping out and getting involved in the lives of like people. He's like cutting them a deal on rent because they're unemployed or like he, hmm. he helps make dynamic, uh, you know, get back to town after she like her car breaks down or actually it's a more involved scene than that. I just don't okay. give the spoilers. Um, uh, he, at one point, holds a, a woman that he doesn't know after her son has just died, uh, has just died. Hmm. Um, he's the, just the, he represents, I think a certain like kind American, like rural American yeah. heart that I think gets to a lot of what's in, I think something that's in a lot of David Lynch's work that we don't, it isn't usually the headline when we talk yeah. about David Lynch. Um, but that there is a humanism to him. And I, no. and I think he wisely employed Harry Dean Stanton to represent that in Twin Peaks, the return. Yeah. That's interesting. It's almost as though like he's like the spectator. He's like the one on the outside, but, but doesn't want to only be mm-hmm. the spectator. It's like whatever, like I'm not in the middle of this, but I do see, I do know the people that are involved and I'm not going to be super active, but I will do what I can, you know? Um, that sounds very interesting. Yeah, I I gotta go back and, and watch it. I'm yeah. very excited. I mean, it could be one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, <laughs> That's a great place to wrap yeah. this up. But uh, thanks to Harry Dean Stanton for uh, such a long, a 63, 63 year long career. Yeah, and he was just this really fascinating actor. And there aren't a lot like him. There weren't a lot like him. And 
just he was this perpetual grounding influence in any movie that he was in, whether it be The Avengers uh-huh. or Paris, Texas or Repo Man yeah. or The Straight Story or like yeah. when you think about it, like he's in a, a lot of weird like a, a, a variety of films, but he always uh he always sells not merely his own scenes, but his presence in the film helps to sell the film. Yeah. Uh, you know, not merely because I might go see it because he's in it, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, he's, there's, there's almost a, a secret weapon quality to him where like a director's like, okay, well, not unlike what Roger Ebert says, like, well, I at least know that this scene's going to be good. Um, you know, and, uh, maybe from there we can make the rest of the movie as good as Harry Dean Stanton's one or two scenes. Um, the last thing I want to say, I think I, I might've mentioned this, uh, back when he first passed away, but my, I told my story about seeing him perform, uh, at the LA film fest, but, um, my wife, when she was, before she met me, when she was a younger, you know, gal about town, mm. uh, which she still is, she still parties hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, my wife has been to like all these bars, they'll like hear about a bar, we'll pass a bar, I'll be like, oh, that place looks good. She's like, yeah, it's fun. And I'd be like, what? She's, she's out. She's out and about. She's stepping out. Uh, <laughs> I don't like that at all. <laughs> she's stepping out. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, at the hotel, ca- the bar at the hotel cafe in Hollywood, she played piano with Harry Dean Stanton. He was just like hanging out there and playing the piano and she can play a little bit. Yeah. And she like sat down on the bench next to him. And I can't, I wish I could tell you what song they played. I don't know, but, uh, they played the piano together. Well, obviously that's something you put on a resume <laughs> and just be like special skills. Well, I don't know if this counts, but I feel you should know this. Um, if you, if you hire me, you are one degree away from <laughs> Harry Dean Stan. Yeah. And who doesn't want that? All right, so let's. Uh, I meant to do this earlier. Let's talk quickly about what you can find on the website. Um, most importantly, you can find our premium content. Indeed, uh, lots of stuff there for you to uh, pay for. Uh, yeah. But uh, these aren't just charitable donations to us. Yeah. You get stuff in return. Entertaining Indeed. content is what you get. You know, here's something I put out on Twitter last night, um, and it's a weird thing. I try not to say stuff like this because it sounds very self-congratulatory, but battleship pretension is so much more than just me that I feel like I can say this without it seeming egotistical. Uh, I'm very, I'm, I'm very happy with our website. I'm happy with the design, yeah. which I guess was me. Um, but yeah. you contributed a lot uh, after, after I was I, done. I tweaked. It. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but like, I think our contributors write great stuff. I think there's a lot of really good podcasts being put out there. Um, I like this show and I like the movie journal and just like as a, I don't like to use the word brand, but like as a, hopefully a resource for readers and listeners, like I, I, I'm very happy with what it is and I, I would like to, you know, being honest this time of year, cause it's <laughs> the end of the year. And so it's not at all uncommon for me to Google, best movie podcast 2017 or whatever uh-huh. and then just be angry that we're never on the list i think we were on a list somewhere in 2013 yeah, um but we are the best movie podcast well that goes without saying yeah. but uh you know hey stanley kubrick never won an oscar but the point is yeah, uh perfect so there are moments when i just feel like kind of down that we're not bigger but putting aside any kind of ego i will say that like I think that I think the site deserves to be bigger because the contributors are so damn good and committed. And so yeah. listeners, I know this sounds weird, but 
uh, help get the word out because yeah. I I'm proud to be a part of this thing. <laughs> And, uh, well, and, and I appreciate your continued support. Here's some of the stuff Tyler's proud to be a part of that's available on the website. The Movie Meltdown podcast did an episode about musicians doing cameos in movies, which Great. is so up our alley. Um, Sarah has, uh, is almost done with her year of rewatching the Battleship Retention listener voted top 100. She it got to number three. It feels like it flew by. Yeah, uh, probably not for her. That's but, true. Uh, she got to num- number three this week, 2001 in Space Odyssey, speaking of Stanley uh, Kubrick. Um, uh, Tyler, you're keeping up your, uh, Tyler's takes. Yeah, uh, I guess so. Which we're not officially calling it. We no. shouldn't officially call it that. Yeah. We should just call it that on the podcast. But Sorry, everybody. Infinity War and your thoughts on Jurassic, uh, Park World Kingdom. Yeah. Jurassic Park World. Um, it's a theme park about Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, sorry, everybody. My takes seem to be only be about giant franchises at this point. I apologize. That should I'll, get some clicks. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, Alex, uh, is his criterion prediction column looked at, uh, eight hours or not a day, which is, uh, actually a TV miniseries, not a movie, mm. uh, <laughs> but that's okay. It doesn't say it's a movie. Uh, he also wrote, a um, a home video review of the new, uh, incredible shrinking woman, Blu-ray, um, as far as new releases this week, uh, I reposted Reader's review of The Disaster Artist because it opened wider. And then uh, I have reviews this week of um, three good movies, actually. Uh, I, Tanya, okay, Foxtrot, okay. and then surprisingly, the sort of out of nowhere, The Pirates of Somalia, which is getting like a nothing release. Yeah. This is like... I wonder if it benefited from lowered, ex- lowered expectations for me, uh, but yeah. it's actually a re- like, it's a surprisingly good movie. I think I was expecting kind of a like a uh, standard, maybe boring, like by the numbers, like true story about yeah. a very sobering situation, but it actually is, it, uh, it's kind of uh, roguish and funny. Yeah. Uh, and a terrific, terrific performances by Evan Peters and by Barkhad Abdi. Yeah. Yeah, I was. I read your review, and it definitely it was a film I wasn't aware of at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, it it definitely sounded interesting. Evan Peters is an interesting on screen presence, and like the idea of him playing a lead, even in what would seem to be a straightforward mm-hmm. true story, it's like well, it's not going to be that straightforward if he's the lead. Um, right, and I yeah. say that in a good way. Do you know where he's from, Evan Peters? Do you want to guess what part of the United States of America he's from? Um, based on who's asking me <laughs> and assuming you're not trying to trick me somehow and make me look dumb, uh-huh. I will say St. Louis. He's from St. Louis, okay. Missouri. That's right. Um, anyway, and then finally the, um, classic horror cast looked at Dr. Terror's house of horrors. Yes. Featuring Christopher Lee and, uh, Peter Cushing. Yeah. Um, as opposed to Dr. Horror's house of terrors, <laughs> which is actually a light comedy. Yeah. <laughs> So that's all at the website, uh, as is the premium content. You can email us at david at com or tyler at com. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at DaveyPretension. Follow Tyler at TylerPretension. Anything else you want to promote right now? Not right now. All right. Uh, and um, I guess that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 